0: Consider this afternoon the question of why we are to do good works. Matthew 5, the verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. We read here about how Christ has set us free and how he calls us then to live in that freedom by keeping in step with the Spirit. Starting at verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In response to the reading of God's holy word, let's rise and sing together from Psalm 1, stanzas 1 and 2. Thank you. The Heidelberg Catechism. Let's read together, Lord's Day 32, page 548 of your Book of Praise. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace alone through Christ, without any merit of our own, why must we yet do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit to be His image. So that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His benefits, and He may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life we may win our neighbor for Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? By no means. Scripture says that no unchaste person, idolater, 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 adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Why do you do what you do? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever consider why you do the different things in your life? What I'm talking about is your motivations. We all have different reasons why we might do similar things. Why do you get up in the morning and go to work? For some, the answer is that they love their job and they're excited to get at it. For others, they go to work because that's what's expected of of them. They want people to look at them positively. For others, they know that if they don't show up for work, they won't get paid. Their motivation is keeping their job so they can continue to earn a living. Attitudes are affected by our motivations. Someone who loves his job is excited by it, gets to work early. He implies himself with enthusiasm and vigor. He does a good job. Everyone around him can see that his heart is in his work. There's also other kinds of employees. Those who work hard, when the eye of the boss is on them, because they want to make a good impression, but who slack off when the boss is not around. Those who do what's required to get by, because they need the paycheck, but who actually live for the weekend, and who cannot wait for retirement. In our catechism, we've, in our catechism preaching, we've been dealing with how great our sins and misery are, and how Christ has delivered us from all our sins and misery. This afternoon, we come to the third part of the Hutterberg Catechism dealing with our thankfulness. Lord's Day 32 focuses on how we are to express our thankfulness to God for His grace in Christ. Christ has redeemed us by His blood, by dying for our sins on the cross. He has given us his spirit to live in us, renewing us more and more, that we might live our lives to God's glory. Christ's gracious work for us and in us is our motivation for living thankful lives. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. By Christ's renewing work in us, we are to do good works. Our good works show forth our thankfulness to God. They assure us of our faith, and they witness to our neighbor. In the coming months, we'll be busy dealing with the final section of the Catechism. We'll learn that we are to show forth our thankfulness to God through the things we do and the things we say. The Catechism's third section on thankfulness focuses on a discussion of the Ten Commandments and later of The Lord's Prayer. It teaches us that our thankfulness is to be expressed in our walk and talk. Yet before the Catechism begins to explain how we are to be thankful, it deals with the question of why we are to be thankful. Before it explains what God requires of us in the Ten Commandments, it emphasizes why we are to keep these commands. The question of why we are to do good works is a very important one. For the answer to this question will have an impact on how we respond to God and how we live before Him. For many in society around us, there is not much motivation for doing what is good. Why should they? Society lives with the attitude that Nice guys finish last. Take what you can get. Make the most of your life. If you don't look out for number one, no one else is going to do it for you. You have an opportunity to make a shady buck? Well, go for it. That's one way to get ahead in life. Got a chance for a little sex on the side? Well, why not? You only live once. You need to lie to cover yourself. For many, that comes as naturally as breathing. In this world, the only thing that holds many back from doing what's wrong is the threat of punishment. The fact they might get caught is what stops many people from committing a crime. No one wants to, get at, to end up being fined or jailed. People want to avoid the shame and the embarrassment that comes from being found guilty of wrongdoing. Yet when law and order break down after some natural disaster, we see people looting and stealing. When people think they can get away with doing something wrong, they're inclined to get whatever they can. Just think of the robberies that have occurred recently at many of our liquor stores, because people think they can just get away with it. Within the church, we know that sin has consequences even if you're never caught doing wrong. Stealing dishonors God as the provider. It robs our neighbor of what rightfully belongs to him. Adultery is a sin that breaks down your personal relationship with God and has a very detrimental effect on your marriage or on that of your neighbors. If we start telling lies, we need to keep telling lies to cover ourselves. And we know that Satan is the father of all lies. We don't want to put ourselves under his dominion. For us, the consequences of sin can also hold us back from doing what's wrong. Yeah, beloved, if it's only a fear of punishment, yeah, beloved, is it only a fear of punishment that motivates you to do what's right? Is it only that you want to avoid the consequences of sin, that you strive to live your life in accordance with God's commands? These should not be the reasons why we as Christians do good works. Our motivation for holy living is much greater than this. The primary reason why we do good is to show forth our thankfulness to God. Why are we thankful? To understand this, it's helpful to go back to the structure of the Hutterberg Catechism. We know our Catechism is divided into three parts. The first deals with our sin and misery, the second with our deliverance, the third with our thankfulness. You cannot understand why we are thankful if you don't first go back to our sins and misery and our deliverance in Christ. See, beloved, by nature we are corrupt. Our inclination is to hate God and our neighbor. If God is not working in us by His Spirit, we'll walk in the ways of sin, and each day our guilt increases. Our natural condition is such that we are lost. Man of himself has no real security, no true peace, no lasting hope. There's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves from our miserable plight. Without God, Man's best hope in this life is to make it as comfortable and as pleasurable as he can. And yet even those who attain their life's ambitions find no real satisfaction or no lasting joy in the things of this world. You see, beloved, it's sin that broke down our close relationship with God. God holds us accountable for our sins. He requires that payment be made for them. If it's not then God will punish us. Romans 1 speaks about how God gives people over to the consequences of their sins. Many places in Scripture speak of the final judgment that will come upon the wicked on the last day. God will cast them into everlasting darkness. He will withdraw himself from them. He will give them over to the torment of hell. And that, beloved, is the punishment that each and every one of us actually deserves. Yet, thanks be to God for His grace in Christ Jesus, our Savior. In the past months, we focused our attention on the redeeming work of Christ. He came into this world to deliver us from our sins and misery, He offered Himself on a cross to make the payment we could never make. By His body and blood, He has ransomed us from all our sins. Christ has restored us in our relationship with God. He has delivered us from the wrath of God that we deserve. And not only has Christ redeemed us by His blood, He has also poured out His Spirit upon us, to renew us in His image. Where we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive. He transformed us so our minds are no longer darkened, our hearts are no longer cold, our will is no longer perverted. Through the Spirit's renewing work, it's possible for us to once more know God. Through the Spirit's work, we're enabled to heartily love God. Through His work, it's again possible for us to live in a relationship with God, to have communion with Him. It's the Spirit's work in us that turns us from sinful blindness to a life devoted to the Lord. Beloved, what would your response be to someone who saved your life? to someone who rescued you from death when you were overcome by smoke in a burning building, to someone who donated a kidney so you could undergo a transplant operation and continue to live, wouldn't you be grateful? Wouldn't you want to express your thankfulness in whatever way you could? Please understand that Jesus Christ is your lifesaver. The reason why we are to do good is out of thankfulness for all that Christ has done for us. Our motivation for good works is love. God loved us so much. He gave His Son to die for us. Because He first loved us, we now love Him, with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. The fruit of salvation is that we do good works. This afternoon we read from Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul begins chapter 5 with a glorious cry, for freedom, Christ has set us free. What's Paul mean when he speaks about our freedom in Christ? There's some different aspects to this freedom. The first is that we are set free from our sins. It is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone that we are justified. God no longer counts our sins against us because Christ has paid for them on the cross. Second, Christ has delivered us from the mastery of the devil. Through Christ, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son, whom He loves. Christ has broken Satan's stranglehold over mankind. For believers, Satan is no longer master. Christ is. And third, Christ has set us free from the sting of death. God's curse on man's sin was that we would die. The wages of sin is death. And yet Christ has broken that cycle. He didn't die because of his sins, but because of ours. Death could no longer hold Jesus in his grip. He rose on the third day. His resurrection is a pledge that our bodies too will be raised on the final day. And so Christ has delivered us from the fear of death. Finally, Christ has freed us from the law through our union with Christ. He has freed us from needing to meet the laws demands. We don't have to keep God's laws in order to merit righteousness. So beloved, when you consider Christ's redeeming and renewing work, what's your response? Are you truly thankful? Are you motivated to live for God? Is the overriding purpose of your life to give glory to God? And beloved, does that show in the things you say and do? In the manner in which you conduct your relationships with those around you? In the way in which you use the gifts and the opportunities that God gives you? Do you love the Lord? Is your heart devoted to His service? Do you serve Him with the zeal that He requires? Of ourselves, we can't do any of this. But by the power and might of the Spirit, we're enabled to give our hearts and lives as a sacrifice of thankfulness to God. Paul encourages us that in that in Galatians 5. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, God has given us the Spirit to help us walk in His ways. To do that, we need to know God's will for our lives. That requires us to read and to study our Bibles, to meditate on His Word. It requires us to pray for His grace, helping us deny our own will and to do what God wants us to do. It's only this way that we will turn away from the works of the flesh and begin to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Ultimately, it's by the Spirit's work in us. That God enables us to live our lives as a sacrifice of thankfulness to Him. Brings us to our second point, And we'll see how our good works assure us of our faith. It's interesting how in Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Work is the result of effort being put forth. A machine in a factory works. It puts out a product. But you can't manufacture fruit. Fruit is a natural result of proper growth. When a farmer plants a crop, he expects it to bear fruit. Fruit bearing is the natural result of proper growth. That applies to us spiritually as well. Before the sermon, we sang from Psalm 1. It compares the believer with a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. In Matthew 7 17, Christ made it clear that every good tree bears good fruit. Growth and fruit-bearing is totally dependent on God's work. You see, you can dig, and you can plant, and you can sow. You can graft, and you can prune. You can weed all you want. But if God does not give rain, and sunshine, and growth, all your efforts will be wasted. Somehow, in the final analysis, it all depends on God. To produce the fruit that's why paul speaks of love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control as fruit of the spirit in galatians 5 paul speaks about these three clusters of fruit first he speaks of love joy and peace This is the fruit that comes from living in communion with God. Our hearts are filled with love for God. When we consider His grace in giving His Son to redeem us, we experience a joy of faith, knowing we belong to Christ, that He's bought us with His precious blood. We experience peace with God, because Christ has broken down the wall of separation caused by our sins. Secondly, Paul speaks about patience, kindness, and goodness. This is the fruit that's evident when we live in fellowship with our neighbor. We're patient with those around us when they make a mistake. Instead of lashing out, we have within us a spirit of forgiveness. We're kind, we do good. Even to those who have wronged us, we show forth grace to others in the way in which God has first showed forth His grace toward us. Finally, Paul speaks about faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. This fruit refers to the work of the Spirit in our personal life, to the deep transformation of our character. Faithfulness is being true to God. Submitting your will to His. Doing what He teaches you in His Word. Gentleness is better translated as meekness. It's having a humble spirit. Not insisting on your own rights. Self-control is the power to keep yourself in check. Not giving in to the desires of the flesh. These clusters of fruit show... That the Spirit is active in all our relationships with God, our neighbor, and ourselves. But we don't always experience that in our lives. As Christians, there can be times when we don't feel like we're producing much fruit. And that can cause us to doubt whether or not we're truly Christians. Sometimes it's because of our sins. We've done something wrong. We know we've offended God with our sins. Even if we've repented and prayed for forgiveness, we can find it hard to forgive ourselves. We think, how could God forgive a wretch like me? On other occasions, our doubt stems from the struggles and adversity we face in our lives. When we go through hard times, it can seem like God is so far removed from us. We can feel forsaken by Him. We think, if God truly loved me, why would He let me struggle? Why would He let me suffer so much? And then we begin to doubt God's gracious promises. We, not, we may not be sure that we're God's children, or that we share in Christ's grace. Yeah, beloved, we need to understand something important about fruit-bearing. If you've ever grown fruit, you'll know that you don't just come outside one day and find a ripe, juicy apple on a tree that wasn't there yesterday. Fruit takes time to develop and grow. You need to plant a tree. It needs to sink its roots into the ground and then one spring buds and blossoms will appear. The bees need to come and to pollinate the flowers. Soon tiny fruit appears and yet it'll take many weeks of sunshine and rain before those little apples mature into ripe and juicy fruit. In the same way Spiritual growth takes time. You see, beloved, those tiny little apples that appear in spring are fruit. Even though they're very small, even though they haven't fully developed, they're fruit. And so it is in our lives as Christians. We need time to mature basking in the warmth of God's love, nurtured by the food of God's Word. Even though our joy may not be full, even though our peace is often broken, it does not mean that the fruit of the Spirit is absent in our life. We may not always be patient or always exercise self-control. Our fruit is often hard and green. So often a long way from maturity and yet the Holy Spirit continues his work in the children of God. He develops in us a new nature, a new person, a Christian character, the mind of Christ. Do you see the Spirit's work in your heart and life? If so, then you may be assured of the fact that you are a Christian. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus taught that you can know a tree by its fruit. In the same way, James draws a connection between faith and good works. He said, faith without works is dead. He taught a living faith will be shown by the fruits of faith. In 1 John 2, John writes, We know that we have come to know Christ. If we keep his commandments, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Thus, it's by seeing the fruits of faith in our lives that we may be assured that we are saved. This brings us to our final point, and we'll see how our good works witness to our neighbor. Lord's Day 32 gives us a third motivation for doing good works. It is that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. The Bible contains various texts that show us that our witness to the world is greatly affected by how we live our lives. In Matthew 5, the Lord told us that we are the light of the world. He commanded, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Peter also speaks about this in his first letter. He teaches us to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, beloved, it's not good enough to talk the talk. We must also walk the walk. Beloved, we are to live as renewed renewed Christians. People around us should be able to see the fruits of our faith. Seeing our joy in the service of God should make them desire the same thing. Seeing the confidence with which we face the future should make them want to have what we have. If our conduct is consistently honorable, if we show forth love for God and for those around us, The Lord can use that to bring others to Him. If our lives reflect goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control, it will cause others around us to seek the blessings that we have received. The testimony of the Christian church can be a very strong witness to the world around us. Think back in church history to the faith displayed by many of the saints in times of persecution. Their willingness to suffer reviling from their enemies, even to die with the name of Jesus on their lips, is what prompted many others to seek out the truth of the gospel. Most people will not join a Christian church of their own accord. They come to Christ and his church through the witness of other Christians. God often uses our faith and the fruits of our faith, to draw others to His service. Beloved, does the community in which we live see us in such a positive manner? Do your friends and neighbors know that you are a Christian? Do they experience that you live your life in service of Christ? Do they see the fruits of faith in you? Do you show consideration to those around you? Do you deal with them in love? Are you someone that they can count on for help and support in times of need? Both in our talk and in our walk, we need to show that we are Christ's disciples. For God often uses our witness to draw others to Him. Thus, beloved, we have great motivation for doing good works. We do them to show forth our thankfulness to God, to assure us of our faith, and to win our neighbor for Christ. And yet ultimately, it's not we who do the good works. Christ works them in us by His Spirit. He is the one who produces the fruits of faith in our lives. What comfort, what assurance this gives us. You don't need to leave church this afternoon with a burden on your shoulders that you have to do it. Just walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Instead, you'll glorify God in all your words and works. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from hymn 48, stanzas 3 and 4.